Good morning again. My name is Chris Allen. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Horizon Church. And Eric and I are just overjoyed that you are worshiping here with us this morning on Happy St. Patrick's Day and, and spring break. And we're just so excited that you chose here to be this Sunday morning because we believe that God is doing something in this place and in this church and, and the people that he continues to call here and through this city. And so we are just so excited that you are with us. Last week we began a series called Journey, Following the Footsteps of Jesus. And Erica shared a message that I found very powerful. And if you weren't here last week, I invite you to check it out. Um, the podcast is on our website and it's also on Spotify and iTunes. Uh, take some time this week in the car uh, to listen to it. It was just an amazing message uh, talking about Jesus calling Peter when we're, we're tired and when we've worked all night and it feels like nothing is, is working God pushes us and calls us when we're strangely ready to dream a God-sized dream. And so I invite you to check that out. Um, We're entering uh, week two of this Following the Footsteps of Jesus series. And when we planned this out uh, several months ago, I didn't realize that Erica had assigned me to preach on Jesus' time in Egypt. And if you've ever read... uh, the New Testament, if you even are pretty familiar with the Bible, you might even be scratching your head a little bit and being like, wait, when did Jesus live in Egypt? And it's a, it's a whole three verses. And the question I was asking myself all week, and maybe you're asking yourself this as well right now, is how are you going to talk for 20 minutes about three verses of the Bible when Jesus lived in Egypt, and I began to quickly regret all week as I was preparing the message today why I agreed to preach on three verses of when Jesus was a toddler living in Egypt. And there was moments this week where I was like, I sure hope I can find enough Aunt Becky jokes to tell. <laughs> and then, like Erica mentioned, I woke up like you did on. Friday morning with with notes or notifications on my phone of what had happened in New Zealand and I watched as I ran on the treadmill at the Y Friday morning and saw more of it continue to unfold and I was shaken and so it became abundantly more clear to me what God had, had chosen us to talk about Egypt today Egypt like I said it occupies a whole three verses in all of the Bible, of where Jesus lived. He was super young. It was a place that he lived for just a short period of time. He never preached in Egypt. He never performed any miracles that we know of in Egypt. We don't know a whole bunch about his time there in Egypt. But yet, I think it might be the most influential place he ever lived in and shaped the rest of his ministry and life. And so before I... We read the scripture today. I want to share a little bit of the historical setting. Um, you probably know a little bit about what happened immediately before these passages in, in Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was born there in Bethlehem. And I'm about to blow your mind, so be ready. Jesus was born in 6 BC. Most of us think you're zero, but scholars actually think it was 6 BC, so mind blown here, right? <laughs> And it was born under the, the rule of King Herod. And King Herod was paranoid. He was power hungry. He was ruthless. And so when he heard about Jesus being born, this new king that may rival his kingdom, he sends out an order that all children under the age of two 
all babies under the age of two be killed. And that's where our passage from today begins. So Matthew chapter 2, starting at the 13th verse. When the Magi had departed, the wise men, an angel from the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod will soon search for the child in in an order to kill him. Joseph got up during the night, took the child and his mother to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod died. And that's it. That's all we know about Egypt. Herod died in approximately 4 B.C., So Jesus may have lived there until he was maybe about two or three years old. And certainly he couldn't have remembered much about his time there in Egypt. But again, I I believe it may be the most important place he ever lived that shaped who he was. Just this week, I I had lunch with a friend named Shane. And Shane and his wife are, are expecting their first child in a few weeks um, they have the, the nursery painted, the curtains picked out, the crib's been put together, the car seat is installed, the bags are packed. Well, except for his, he still had to do that. And Mary and Joseph are no different than parents today. They wanted to be settled. They wanted to be close to family for that extra support. We know those first few weeks, those first few months are tough. And yet, that's not what Mary and Joseph experience. First off, they're already a little bit away from home in Bethlehem, away from their home in Nazareth. And this angel comes to Joseph and says, leave. And Mary and Joseph and the child leave in the cover of darkness. They leave with only the clothes on their backs. And you have to imagine that they don't quite know where they're leaving to. They don't know the language of where they're going. They don't know anyone that lives where they're going. They don't know if anyone will welcome them there. But this is what they do know. That their lives are at risk and they have to run. They have to flee. And they have to do this all with a small child. I don't know about you, but just a few years ago when Hurricane Irma was lined up to have a Category 5 eye wall hitting Tampa, and we were leaving our house, not sure if we'd ever return again, It was not fun doing it with Erica pregnant and a small child. Mary and Joseph were also poor. The fear and anxiety that went with having to flee could not be lessened. They had no American Express points to use for a hotel room or a flight. They went simply with what they had. So what does 
this all mean? Well, Jesus and his family were totally vulnerable. Jesus and his family were totally at risk. Jesus and his family were totally up to others welcoming them in a new place. And that's a situation that Jesus was born into. That's a situation that Jesus lived the first few most formative years of his life. Imagine that's your story. That you grow up and your parents tell you about that time that you lived in a foreign land because you had to flee, because your lives are at risk. How might that influence you? Imagine if your family were refugees, completely dependent on someone else to take you in. How do you think that might shape who you became? Having experienced something ourselves, we often then are more able to understand those that are now going through a similar experience. And Egypt was not only important for Jesus, but for all of Jewish people. There's a story in the book of Exodus. Egypt was the land that the Jewish people were in slavery in. And God sets them free and leads them to the promised land. And when they get to the promised land, God tells them, remember Egypt. Remember that time that you were slaves. Never forget. In Exodus 23, 9, it says, don't oppress an immigrant. And you can insert foreigner, stranger, alien. Don't oppress an immigrant. Why? Because you know what it's like to be an immigrant. Because you were immigrants in Egypt. And Jewish people today still remember Egypt. Jesus didn't have to remember Egypt because he lived it himself. How do you think it would influence you? How do you think it impacted Jesus in his life? Well, Jesus had a deep compassion the rest of his life for those that were not just foreigners, but those on the outside, those on the margins, those that were outcasts, that, those that were pushed to the edges. Jesus has a deep compassion for those that are pushed to the edges. And that's why immediately after the story we looked at last week in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus calls Simon Peter to come follow me, drop your nets, and be a fisher of people. The next three stories that follow that are of Jesus going to the edges. Jesus touches a man with leprosy, a man with a skin disease that would force him to live outside the city because he was thought to be unclean. It would separate himself from his family, from support systems, by living, by living outside the city. He was on his own. The next story is a, it's kind of a funny story in some ways. It's only a story that four guys could come up with. So these four guys hear about Jesus, and they have a friend that's paralyzed. And so they, they come from far off to see if Jesus can heal their friend. 
And so they each grab a corner of a rug and carry him to where Jesus is. And when they get there, the crowd is so big. And of course, they didn't plan or pack for everything that might quite happen because they're four guys. They have a great idea. And this great idea is now to rip the roof off of some other guy's house and drop their friend down into the house. I mean, he, he's paralyzed. What's the worst that could happen in this moment? We, can, we might have a chance to heal him if we just do this, right? And this man was completely dependent on others, his four friends. And Jesus sees the faith that they have, and he heals the paralyzed man. And then from there, Jesus goes, and he sees a tax collector, a shady character named Levi, who rips people off by charging them more than they owe in their taxes because he wants a little for himself. And he calls out to Levi, come follow me. And Levi invites him over, invites Jesus over to his house for dinner. And I can only imagine there's, there's more shady characters there at dinner. And Jesus shares a meal with someone that was on the outside, on the edges. And in each of these instances, the religious people begin to grumble, begin to talk about who, who's this Jesus? Who does he think he is? To touch a person that's unclean. Who's he, who is he that he can heal someone and forgive them of their sins? Who's he to, to eat with sinners? Jesus goes to those on the edges, on the outside. And when we get to the end of Jesus' life, he's gathered with the disciples. And in Matthew 25, he tells them, this is what it's going to look like. When I'm sitting on the throne in heaven and, and your life is judged. Come you who will receive good things from my Father. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it for me. Here's the thing. Jesus is not speaking theoretical here. He's not, well, just imagine that person on the corner is me. Jesus is saying, that really was me. That was my family. That was me in Egypt. We had nothing. And people gave us food. We had to be welcomed in because we had nothing. That was me. If we want to follow Jesus, we have to make space in our lives for those that are on the edges. For the foreigner, the immigrant, the stranger, the sick, the hungry, the incarcerated, the imprisoned. And this is honestly where it gets really complicated. This is where it gets complicated because unlike Jesus, unlike the Jewish people, for most of us, that's not our story. We don't know what it's like 
to be completely vulnerable. We don't know what it's like to be completely dependent, to be a refugee in a foreign land. We can't simply remember because at no point in our lives that's been our experience. And the Apostle Paul knew this was going to be a problem. He knew this was going to be a problem for us. And he writes in Ephesians chapter 2 that there is an experience that we all share. We've all been strangers to God. We've all wandered from the fold. And God continues to seek us even when we're a stranger. We've all been a stranger, a spiritual outsider to God. And we don't belong here. We don't belong God's promise. But it's Christ that welcomes us in. Even when we don't deserve it, God's love overwhelms us and welcomes us home. If we worship Jesus, who always welcomed the outsider, always welcomed those on the edges, how are you making space in your life to be a person of welcome? Even in those 2,000 years between us and Jesus, how we define the edges really hasn't changed too much. It's still often nationality, it's race, it's income, it's sexuality. Sometimes it's just as simple as geography of being on the other side of the tracks. How do we make space in our lives for those that are living on the edges? There's a woman in our church named Sarah. And Sarah has the awesome experience each week of being a lunch pal with someone named, his name's Donovan. And Donovan goes to a Title I school, and that, that pretty much just means that most of the students in Donovan's school are, are on free and reduced lunch. And Sarah each week goes and shares lunch with Donovan. And Donovan's a first grader, and his dream is to play in the NBA one day. And Sarah quickly realized that talking to a first grader every day, there's pretty much about 30 seconds of conversation before you realize you, you don't have a lot in common uh, between being a 30-year-old and a first grader. Um, and so one week, Sarah has a love for Rubik's Cubes. And so luckily she had a Rubik's Cube in her purse when she went to lunch that day. And it sparked conversation. And one of the things that Sarah found out that day is that Donovan loves Big Macs as much as she does. And so now every few weeks when she goes to lunch, she brings Donovan a Big Mac. And it's been a tremendous icebreaker of learning more about who Donovan is and the trouble that his older brother gets into and why his teacher was worried about him and the need for a mentor in his life. And Sarah has learned three things that I think all of us should hear today. She's learned that it first took some listening. It wasn't easy to get a first grader to talk. And then it takes some digesting. What's he saying? What's, what's really going on in his life? And then it, it takes a little more listening. 
She said, you have to dig a little deeper and ask another question to listen some more. Sarah and Donovan were strangers by geography. They lived in the same city, but in different places. They were strangers, and it was just this simple Sarah's willingness to welcome someone living on the edges into her life. Jesus is not asking us to debate whether we should care and help the person standing on the corner. Jesus is not asking us that. Jesus is asking, how are you going to do something about it? How are you going to welcome that person into your life? Maybe it's something as simple like Sarah. And if you are interested in being a, a lunch pal with someone, we've got two elementary school partnerships that we would love to connect you with. Maybe God's been stirring in your heart to care for the orphan. Maybe it's to open your home to foster or adopt. Or maybe it's something even simpler. Maybe that neighbor next door across the street is just easier to ignore, to make them a stranger. And today, after worship, you're invited to do something really simple. There's a program here in Tampa called Dress for Success. And it empowers women through gainful employment. And most of the women that are their clients are referred to them through homeless shelters and domestic violence centers and immigration services. These women are going for their for a job interview, and they don't have the clothes to succeed. And Dress for Success gives them the clothes, but then additionally, they give them a purse to take with them. And in this purse, it's a surprise, and most of them don't realize it until they're on their way to the job interview, that there's a note of encouragement in the purse. And Dress for Success often gets stories back that these notes in the purse, as these women are going for a job interview, is what lifts them encourages them to have the confidence to go into that interview. Many of the women cry when they read the notes because I've never heard such beautiful words. And so on those tables outside today, there's going to be some cards. And you can write a note of encouragement to someone that's been pushed to the margins that needs to hear the good word, needs a little bit of Jesus' light to shine so that change can happen in this place. So change can happen in our lives and the lives of this community.